Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Down where it's wet and take it from me. I'll find the shore they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While they devoting full time to building under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Down here, all the fish is happy. As off through the waves they roll. The fish on the land ain't happy. It's hard because they in the bowl. But fish in the bowl is lucky. From 25 years ago in 1989, this is Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. You might wonder, why would I play that song? There's a strange thread that I started today about The Little Mermaid, and I, I figured it was an appropriate song to play given the weirdness that followed here on, that, on this site in our forum. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Today, it is the Druff and No Friends show, as Fluffer likes to call it, because there's no co-host with me. I, I do have some people in the chat room, a reduced crowd. In fact, everything tonight is going to be reduced for a few reasons. It's only been five days since the last show. We had 15 days prior to the previous show 
and now five since the last one. And when that happens, there's less to talk about because I've already beaten all the other topics to death. I had to find things that have happened in the last five days or things that I had missed to talk about on this show, which isn't that easy, would you believe? Uh, Especially to speak for all these hours. Uh, Also, the World Series of Poker main event is on right now, and I know a lot of you want to watch that, so I don't want to distract you guys too much from it, though the play so far has been rather slow from what I've seen, and I'll give updates here throughout the show for the live listeners. I know it'll be irritating to the people in the archives who will have already known these things by the time they listen to the show, and that's actually most of our listeners, but... Anyway, I'm rooting for Mark Newhouse, as you might guess. Hopefully he wins. He's got about half of the chip leader's chips at the moment, but a lot of poker left to be played at that final table. And that's uh, the main event, final table, starting tonight, just a short time ago. So let me give you the information regarding the usual stuff at the beginning of the show. If you want to call into the show, you can reach me at 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You have to show your caller ID when you call me. You can also reach me on the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that is near Las Vegas, does get snow on it during the winter, though it does not have any yet as of this time. I have an old rotary 70s telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston that forwards to me wherever I go. If you don't believe me about that phone, I'm going to take a picture with it soon, and you will see it next time I go up there. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. You also have to show your caller ID. Now, if you want to text me, you can do it only to our main phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before the show, during the show, or after the show. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. You can interact with me in our chat room. You need a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to get into the chat room. You also need a flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads can get in there, but... Other than that, you can get in and talk to me during the live show. I don't read it that often because I'm doing the show and I can't just sit there reading, but I look at it every so often. If you want to talk to me, it's better to do so in text, but you can talk with the other listeners of the show or listening live, and I will glance in the chat room and sometimes read things from there. You can find that near the top of the screen, the chat button there. Also, right next to the chat button is the No Fraud Online Poker Room. What takes place over there is our free roll. Every week, we have a free roll on this site for cash, for actual cash that you can get for through PayPal. I can send you a check. I can send you a bank transfer. I can send you Bitcoin. I can send you cash in an envelope. I'm really talking about actual cash here, and there's no cost to enter this. And the fields are small. In fact, tonight the field is especially small because this is an unusual night. We don't usually have shows on Monday. Usually our show is on Tuesday. So you should have very little competition to win the money we're giving away tonight. And once again, the money came from listeners to the show and users on our forum And I thank them. It's always from them. It's never from me. Tonight, we have $65 we're giving away. This is the way it's going to be. First place will be $30. Second place, $15. Third, $10. 
fourth, five. Pretty straightforward. 30, 15, 10, and five. And if you knock out Flipper Fair, you get $5 in addition to whatever you might be able to win by finishing first through fourth. But you'll get a minimum of $5 if you knock out Flipper Fair. The donations for this free roll came from the following four people. Richard Brody's comb-over gave $18. Once again, it's not Richard Brody himself, not the quiet lion, not the guy who wrote Microsoft Word and has a bunch of money. It's not him. It's the comb-over belonging to Richard Brody. Gave us $18 for this free roll. Real Chaser 74 gave the $5 bounty on Flipper Fair. Flipper Fair himself gave $12. And I have a $30 contribution from someone who wants to remain anonymous. Not the hacker group anonymous, but an individual who wants to remain anonymous. So thank you to the four of you for our $65 free roll. It starts at 7.40 p.m. Pacific time. And tonight, it's my game. Limit Hold'em. Limit Hold'em, where I have my bracelet, where I have most of my good World Series results where I have made almost all of my money playing poker. Limit Hold'em. Tonight it's a Limit Hold'em tournament. And you can late register up to 25 minutes after start time, meaning at 8.05 Pacific time it closes late registration. So there you go. First, second, third, and fourth pay, as well as this bounty. I know when it's a limit tournament, a bounty is not as effective because... You can't knock someone out unless they're short stacked. So I guess that takes down the bounty a bit tonight. You'll have to wait till Flipper Fair gets short stacked and then everyone needs to go after him. <laughs> but maybe he'll win. He's been the most successful player on this site in the year 2014. That's why everyone keeps putting bounties on him. Here is oh, I, I gotta give this other disclaimer that I do every week. If you want to qualify for the free money, you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013. June 1st, 2013, registered on the forum part of the site. If you are not registered by that date, then you need to send me an email, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks by telling me things you've heard on the show that are not in the official show description. And I will give you an exemption if I believe you. Other ways to get this exemption to qualify for the free money. And you have to do all this before the free roll tonight. You can't do it after you win. Other ways to get an exemption is to give a minimum of $10 towards future free rolls. Or to be someone who I know in person. When I say know in person, I don't mean I've played with you once at a poker table somewhere. I mean someone that I've known for a while and know fairly well. You'll know who you are if that, qualif- if that refers to you. And the reason I throw that in there is I have some people that you know, I've known for many years that have become aware of this show. And even though they're not really poker people, they listen anyway. So if they want to take a shot at the free roll, they can. But for most of you, this doesn't apply. Anyway, register an account on PokerFraudAlert.com. You never know when free rolls will come up, including the $1,000 free roll. Yes, the $1,000 Poker Fraud Alert free roll that's going to be in six days, and that'll be our first topic tonight. Here's the rest of the topics that we will be covering. Of course, the World Series of Poker main event is going. Going to be rooting for Mark Newhouse, who's made an amazing two World Series of Poker final tables in a row in this gigantic field. 
So very, very impressive feat, and it'll be even more impressive if he wins or at least finishes in the top few. Uh, but even if he finishes ninth, honestly, that's an incredible feat to do that in this day and age against all these tough players and against fields of over 6,000 people. It's amazing he did that. He was on this show in the summer. We interviewed him while he was buying international plugs to go travel. <laughs> but uh, we always seem to talk to people in hardware stores. I remember we talked to... Uh, Phil Helmuth, like two and a half years ago when he was in Best Buy. I guess that's not a hardware store, but similar concept. So we'll take a look at the main event as it plays out during the show. Next topic, players are attempting to protest against Poker Stars rake changes. When I say protest, I don't mean complaining on forums. They're trying to stage protests, sit-ins. Or shall I say sit-outs? They're trying to stage on poker stars. I'll tell you if these have been effective and what might happen to these players if they continue their behavior. I think you might be able to guess. Well, I was looking for topics to talk about on tonight's show, and I was coming up pretty empty. There just was not much that happened over the last five days in poker, aside from the main event starting today. There just really has not been much. And I was thinking, hmm, what am I going to do? What am I going to talk about? So I was searching for other topics that perhaps I might have missed or not been paying much attention to. And I found an interesting one. Ultimate Poker is really, really, really circling the drain. Now, I know I've said that before, but they are now throwing up Hail Mary-style promotions as a last-ditch attempt to get some traffic on that site and... I have a poker fraud alert, I'd say semi-exclusive here, that pretty much everyone who was originally working for that site has jumped ship. And I'll tell you why. We will also play some videos from the Ultimate Poker CEO from May of this year, where he talks about lessons learned from the first year in operation, but it's not what you might think. Howard Lederer, he's not completely gone. He showed up at a Poker Hall of Fame, or shall I say the Poker Hall of Fame induction ceremony for this year. Talk a bit about that. When you play in underground poker games, you typically worry about two things. I'm talking about illegal underground live poker games. You're worried about, one, someone robbing the game, and two, the cops busting the game. Well, you'd feel pretty safe playing a poker game where the local cops are in on protecting it. So they know about the game. They're being paid to protect the game. They're being paid to protect the money that is being used for buy-ins to the game. That would be a pretty secure situation to play you know, if you're going to play in one of these underground poker games. Except, what if the whole poker game isn't even real? We'll talk about what happened in Tennessee, where that's exactly what was going on. Well, Caesars has committed the first violation, the first violation of the law involving the new legalized online poker rooms in the United States. I'll tell you what violation they committed, how it happened, and what the consequences were. Remember we talked about the poker site 
that was attempted to be started by the Santa Isabel Indians in California. They were going to start up a California poker site, claim it's legal, even without the state's permission. Well, they haven't done so yet. They only have a free money version of the site running, as they've had for a while. But they haven't gone live with real money, even though over two months ago they claimed they would. But they've opened up a hilarious bingo site in its place right now and claim that's the forerunner to the poker on there. So we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, Finally, editorial having nothing to do with poker. It's about personal information. It's about the availability of personal information and how dangerous this can be in this day and age. It can be dangerous financially to you, and it can be dangerous physically to you. I will talk about what has happened and how the law really has not kept up with what has happened. 775-372-8355 is the phone number to call in. 775-FRAUD-55. Make sure to show your caller ID. And if I don't answer, try back in 15 minutes or so. It just means that I am busy. So let's quickly talk about the free roll that Brandon is putting on. Brandon Drexel Gerson, former co-host of this show, is putting on a free roll for $1,000. This will be on November 16th, Sunday, six days from now, at 11 a.m. It will take place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. But you can't just show up and sit in the No Fraud Online Poker Room and play and expect to win your share of the $1,000. Even if you've been a good listener to the radio show, even if you've been a longtime member of the forum, even if you think you deserve a piece of this $1,000 or at least a chance to win it, you don't necessarily qualify because it's not up to me. This is a free roll that Brandon's putting on. As I mentioned last week, Brandon put a $30,000 sports bet on Monday Night Football on Indianapolis minus three and easily won. This was a week ago. He promised that if he were to win this $30,000 sports bet, that he would give $1,000 to Poker Fraud Alert for a free roll. And he's going to keep up with that promise. He's keeping to that promise. And on November 16th at 11 a.m., that free roll's taking place. You need to be pre-approved by Brandon to play in that free roll. And you can find a thread about this in the Flying Stupidity Forum. And if you're not already approved, then you need to post there and say why you think that uh, you should be a member of what's called the Workers' Party. The Workers' Party is basically the group of people who will be playing in this event. And if you don't get pre-approval, then you can't win the money. Even if you sneak into the free roll through the poker site, you'll just be disregarded when it comes time to pay. You'll just be taken out as if you were never there. It's called, the thread is called Official Drexel First Annual $1,000 Invitational Free Roll. And again, it's November 16th, Sunday at 11 a.m. I might even play. So, uh, they're still discussing, it hasn't been totally set in stone yet. They're still discussing maybe taking $500 out of that 1000 and using it for some other purpose, like you know another contest. But uh, right now, this is what it's looking like. It's going to be 11 a.m. 
on Sunday, November 16th. So if that changes, don't blame me. I'm just passing on the most recent information. If you want access to it, I suggest you go into the thread there. You be polite. Don't be demanding. Don't say why you deserve it. And if you're an unknown, you're probably not going to get it. It's basically that uh, Brandon wants to know who you are. He doesn't want just people coming out of nowhere. So very generous of Brandon. I thank him again. And uh, maybe by the next week's show we'll have, which is eight days from now, we will know what happened and who won and all the details. So let's get to our first regular topic here, which is about the World Series of Poker main event. It started tonight, not too long ago. This is the quote November 9, where after they get down to nine players in July, they shut down for almost four months and start again in November. And you're really playing for very, very big stakes here. Not only are you playing for the $10 million guaranteed first prize, but there's such a big difference in the prizes all the way up from ninth to first. Ninth place, whoever goes out ninth will get $730,000. Whoever goes out eighth will get nine forty seven. So you're already jumping up two hundred seventeen thousand. You make seventh, and then you're in pretty good shape because you have exceeded one million dollars. You'll be getting one point two three five million. So you go up another three hundred thousand almost. Sixth place one point six two two million. Fifth place, you break over two million, two point one four three million. Fourth place, two point eight four eight million. So now you're jumping up seven hundred thousand. Third place, three point eight million. So you're jumping up a million between fourth and third. I mean, can you imagine? You, you think if you're short stacked there with four people left, and you survive with a short stack to where someone else busts third or fourth, and you bust third. You just picked up a million bucks there by holding out and busting third instead of fourth. That's, it's got to be so tough to play this thing knowing that because, yes, you want to win. Yes, you want to go for the $10 million and everything else that comes with it, all the sponsorships you might be able to get. Of course, not as much anymore. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that still come with being the World Series main event champion and you cement a legacy in poker and you get $10 bucks. But at the same time, you're like, oh, do I really want to risk it or do I want to just kind of hold on with a short stack and let others fall ahead of me because between fourth and third, it's a million bucks. It's a million bucks. Think about it. Like, you watch someone bust before you, you've just made a million bucks. It's crazy. So unless you're really, really, really rich, it's hard to ignore that. And I know that I could not get that off my mind if I got to this final table. Strategy-wise, it's best to keep that off your mind, but I can't see how you can keep it off your mind. Unless you're a real degenerate or if you're really, really rich, which I don't think anyone at this final table is. Then second place goes up another $1.3 million to $5.145 million, and then an even $10 million for first place. So the difference between ninth and first goes from 730000 to $10 million. And while 730000 is a nice sum of money to have, it's nothing like $10 million. Very, very large difference between winning 730k and 10 million 
Nine people all at the same table. One will win $10 million, one will win 730000 So every hand is huge. Mark Newhouse has made the final table twice in a row now. Went out ninth last year. But came in short stacked. This year he came in with a better stack. Not the top stack, but a better stack. Uh, unfortunately for him, he's not off to the best start. I'll give you a little update as to what's happening right now at the final table. Sorry if I blew out your ears there. I tried to stop it. Mark Newhouse had a set turned on him by Andoni Larrabee. What happened was that uh, Larrabee opened to one million ships under the gun. Newhouse defended the big blind, flopped Jack 7-6 rainbow, a 1.1 million bet on the flop Newhouse called. The turn of five, Newhouse check called 2.5 million, the river a king, no flush possible. Newhouse checked, and Larrabee actually checked. But Newhouse showed he had pocket eights. Larrabee had pocket fives to move him to $25 million. So he turned a five to bad beat Newhouse. Now, why the hell didn't he bet that river? How could Larrabee check behind Larrabee went into the tank for several minutes, it says, before checking behind with a set. What was he afraid of? 6-7, Jack, 5, King. That's a pretty safe board. Other than 8-9 beating him with a straight. I guess he was really scared that he was going to lay out some big bet and knew how he was going to check-raise them all in, and then he was going to have to decide, does he call with a set and bust? I mean, this is what I'm talking about with being scared, because I think if this isn't the main event final table, I can't see anyone checking there. That's such a weird place to check behind. On a board with no flush possible, only one straight possible, only the 8-9 making the straight or the 4-3, I guess, or 4-8, but, you know, it's... Newhouse showed no indication that's what he had. But he checks behind with a set. It's not like he was worried about some kind of weird two-pair hitting. He beats that. I don't know if Newhouse would have called a bit on the river, but he didn't have to. Amazing. Looks like scared play to me. Looks like scared play to me. Anyway, Newhouse is down to 16.3 million. And he's fallen into uh, sixth in chips. And only a little bit ahead of seventh and eighth. Mark Newhouse came in with 26 million even. So he's lost 10 of those million. A lot of swings of this thing. A lot of swings. But just think of that. If that five didn't hit for the set, then Newhouse scoops the pot into a different sh- a different spot. 
Something people pointed out is that uh, they're only seeing 888.com logos and that uh, no other site seems to be advertising at the final table, which is indicative of how far we've come, how much it's changed regarding sites advertising at the World Series. It used to be like everything would advertise. I even got uh, 5000 bucks for wearing a patch for the Maven. <laughs> yeah, I, I wore a patch on TV for day two of the 2009 main event advertising David the Maven Chikotsky's uh, poker VT system. I don't even know what it was. It was just kind of some kind of poker training system. And they're like, hey, you want money to wear this thing? I'm like, OK. So we agreed upon five thousand dollars and, and I, I wore it and they paid me five thousand dollars. <laughs> so it's free money for me. You know, I wasn't going to wear anything. UB actually tried to get me to wear their patch, not realizing who I was. You know, the agent of theirs didn't realize who I was. And I said, no, 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 no. So I wouldn't wear UB. I wouldn't wear any site that I didn't want anyone actually playing on or using. But I had no problem advertising the Maven, the Maven's training site. And I also wore a Doyle's Room patch. <laughs> so I, I basically recouped my buy-in for the main event by wearing those two patches. But now it's just 888, and the only three 888 players that are sponsored by them are Newhouse, Bruce Politano, and Billy Pappas. And hey, you know, I, I would wear the patch. Why not? It's free money. As long as it's not like a site known to cheat people. Sure, why not? It's the only way we get paid as poker players. Otherwise, for these broadcasts, you get nothing. And they make the money off you. Uh, Jorit Van Hoof. The leader at the moment with 41K, 41K, 41 million over uh, Felix Stephenson with 29 million. So Mark Newhouse has some work to do to get back on top or near the top. So good luck to him. Good luck to him. I'm glad for him he didn't have to think about making the hero call with those eights. That's so weird, though. Why Why would Larrabee do that? I could understand if it was the flesh card hitting, but it wasn't. Unless Poker News got it wrong. Like, if the backdoor flesh hits, maybe check, check. But how do you check a set there? It's so weird. So we'll be monitoring this throughout the evening. JSTAT bringing up a good point in the chat. Divide by two for net WSOP main event winnings due to high taxes in California. He's absolutely right. Uh, not only does the, and we're talking about uh, U.S. players who live in California, like Mark Newhouse does, uh, not only do they take a healthy portion out for federal taxes, but California has a very high state tax rate. So you really do lose probably around half if you win something like $10 million. And that's something you have to understand if... Uh, you have a huge score in one year like that is that you really get raped by taxes. It's not what it appears to be. Now, you can offset that a little bit by your expenses or your losses in that same year. So you can subtract all your tournament buy-ins from what you cashed, and you can legally deduct that before you figure out how many taxes you owe, but still, you're going to owe a lot. I always wondered, um, and there's no real answer to this one, because of the weird nature of the delayed final table here. 
delayed, meaning four months delayed. Let's say you live in California and you make the final table and then you move to Nevada in between and then play the final table as a Nevada resident. Now, when you've made the final table, you're guaranteed 730000 and there's no question that you made that 730000 as a resident of California and no California taxes on it. But the final table itself, if you're a Nevada resident at that point four months later, which you easily could be, if you then win $10 million, what is that considered for tax purposes? Are you considered a California resident still because you started the tournament as a California resident? Or are you a Nevada resident now because you started the final table when you were only guaranteed 730 as a Nevada resident? I think that'd be an interesting case to take before the IRS. And there's no precedent to it. Because there's no other contest like this where there's a delay. And where it's a game of skill. So, hmm. I mean, I would suggest trying it anyway. Because California has just brutal taxes. I would suggest trying it and seeing if uh, California would go for it. But I was not in that spot this year as I did not cash. It's funny because at the main event... I played my best in 2010, and that's when I got to 88. I really played well in 2010. In 2011, I also played well, but just didn't get as good of cards and got close to cashing, but did not. Went out in day four. Or sorry, late day three, I think it went out. Yeah, it was late day three. But then in 2012, 2013, and 2014, I didn't play well. I did not play well the last three years, and this year may have been the worst. For some reason, I got worse as the last three years went on in the main event. And I, I don't know how that happened, but I did. A lot of the mistakes I made this year, I would not have made in 2010. In 2010, I really took, like, crap cards and, and made the most of them. Got all the way to 88th with, with crap cards. And uh, this year, I, I got nowhere. 13, I got nowhere. 12, I got nowhere. At least 12 and 13, I got very close to cashing. This year, I got nowhere close to cashing. Anyway, enough about me. Good luck to Newhouse, and let's move on to the next topic. We'll talk about the revolt, the attempted revolt against PokerStars. Now, uh, PokerStars has raised their rake on certain games, especially heads-up games. PokerStars has introduced those spin-and-goes, which include a large element of gambling as far as uh, being able to win at these sit-and-go type tournaments. Now, there are still regular sit-and-goes, but there's now these spin-and-goes where how much you win is a lot based upon complete randomness. And we've talked about that before. They've fired a lot of their sponsored pros. They are introducing foreign exchange fees for exchanging currency that is not one of the few major currencies they support. So like if you're an Australian player, you're not going to pay a 2.5% foreign exchange fee, both depositing and withdrawing, which is pretty brutal. 
So basically they are making it tougher and tougher on the professional poker grinder to make a living playing poker stars. Poker stars likes to say they are making these changes to make it more friendly to the recreational player, and that's BS. They're making these changes so they can make money. They don't care about the recreational player. Uh, what they do care about is making more money, such as through increased rake. And they also want to discourage grinders from playing. They're actually, they don't like the grinders because the grinders actually take money out of the poker star's economy by winning and withdrawing. So they're trying to be grinder hostile. Uh, Bodog, a.k.a. Bovada, is also known to be grinder hostile, where they make policies that make life easier on the recreational player and hard on the grinder. They really don't want to make things easy for the grinders. They, they don't want to be a tool that grinders use to make a living. They tolerate them, but they don't want to really cater to them. Anyway, as you can imagine, the many Poker Stars grinders, most of them in Europe, because Americans can't play there unless they're living elsewhere, are trying to fight back. Now, in the past, there have been player protests that have been successful, where a site changes something, and the players protest in some way, and then it changes back. So that's what they were trying to tap into, is that uh, that sort of... Uh, How should I say it? Uh, I guess you can call it a, a peaceful demonstration, causing a little bit of disruption, but uh, to make a point. In August 2011, Party Poker raised their rake, and they also switched the rake model to what was known as the uh, weighted contributed rake allocation model as far as the rake back uh, that you would get. So it uh, it wasn't just rake based upon number of hands played. It was about you know how much you actually contributed in rake. And then it was also weighted in some way as well, which also hurt the grinders. So uh, when this was done, there were some sit-out protests that the players did there. In order to show party poker, and this is again back in 2011, August 2011, they wanted to show party poker they were unhappy. The regular players of party poker in August 2011 uh, did a mass sit-out where they would sit in the games and then not play. they just hog up a seat and sit out. And a lot of times there would be like five people at a six-handed table which would just stop play because there would only be one player left and nobody could play. And this got Party Poker's attention, and Party Poker actually reversed course. Party Poker, instead of punishing the protesters, said that they would not raise the rake, that they would change the way they would do the rake allocation as far as the rake back. But they, you know, they they were uh, they were going to uh, do away with the raising of the rake that had been previously planned. There was also a protest 
in the past on Poker Stars. Also having to do with these rake allocation changes. But Poker Stars, and these were uh, French players who did this protest. Poker Stars started to lock accounts of the players who were trying to sit out and do this sit out protest. But uh, Poker Stars ultimately backed down and, well, I shouldn't say fully backed down, but they agreed to a compromise. Uh, there's also a sit-out protest on New Year's Day in 2012. Again, having to do with a change to the weighted com- contributed rake allocation model. And uh, again, Poker Stars made a compromise. So, with this history of similar uh, protests working, they decided to do a protest about this rate change on Poker Stars. Except the difference now is that Poker Stars is run by Amaya Gaming, who only cares about their bottom line, and again, they want the grinders gone. They don't care if the grinders leave. So Amaya was not impressed by this attempted protest. Amaya's attitude was, if you pull this crap, we're just going to suspend your account. We're going to kick you off the stars. You're not going to disrupt our games. So uh, players on 2 Plus 2 tried to organize a sit-out protest on November 5th, five days ago. Uh, Where basically, just like on Party three years ago, they would show up at cash games, sit out, and block the game, and then tell everyone in chat why they're not playing. Unfortunately... For the protesters, uh, there's very poor organization to this protest. And even though they tried to have it, it, so few people actually showed up to do it. And so few people did it at the same time that uh, hardly anyone even noticed it was happening. (laughs) So uh, that didn't have much of an effect. Uh, However, the Russians... The Russians, you can't screw with the Russians. The Russians take their poker very seriously. And the Russians, you screw with them, they're going to screw back with you. So the Russians, they dropped their nuke on Poker Stars. They had a, they have a forum, I guess a Russian poker forum called Gypsy Team. And they organized it a lot better than the nerds on 2 Plus 2. So the Russian Gypsy Team, that's G-I-S-P-Y, I guess it's Gispy Team, not Gypsy Team. The Gispy Team. They organized a sit-out, and uh, they focused on the heads-up cap games, because these were affected by a big rake increase. And when they did this, there were very few games that were actually going. And there were huge waiting lists on every table. So it was very tough to even get one of these games going during this Russian protest. So, what did Poker Stars do? What did Amaya Gaming respond to this? Well, they said, all right, Russians, you're gone. You're out of here. We're just going to ban everyone trying this. There were a lot of Russians doing this. So they banned a whole lot of Russians who were doing this. They said anyone who's banning the game is going to be gone. Or not banned. Anyone who's uh, disrupting the game will be banned, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Poker Stars also did not back down at all. They did not compromise at all due to these tactics. 
There's also a kind of a weird form of protest that's going on where in the heads up sit and go community, uh, I guess there was a big increase in the hyper turbo games. So regulars of these games said that they are not going to play each other anymore. Whereas they used to do that. So they are not going to play each other. And this has really taken down the number of heads up hyper turbo games running. There's noticeably fewer that are going. And stars can't do anything about that because you have a right to refuse to play anyone you want. That's different than getting into games and just sitting out and blocking the games. So they, stars can't ban you for not playing people and not even opening the game. So they're continuing to do this at least through next week, and we'll see if it matters. I don't think it will. And the reason I don't think it'll matter is what I just said. Amaya doesn't want them. Amaya doesn't want these grinders. They don't want the pro pl- the pro players on their site. They want these guys gone. If they could have their way, these people would all be gone, and they would have all recreational players over there. So that's why these are stupid. This worked in the past with old poker stars and with party poker because those were sites that felt the grinders were important to their economy. But it's a new uh, it's a new attitude at Amaya. Amaya has a different attitude. Amaya says, you guys are leeches on our system. We don't want you anymore. You are bad for our business, not good for our business. You're not the type of customer we want. So they're basically saying, if you want to leave, leave. And... If you want to stay, you can stay, but if you disrupt anything, you're gone. So the Russians were sent on their bike when they tried to disrupt these uh, heads-up hyper-turbos. Jay Acosta, a regular listener of this show, complained in chat, this is the same show as as I did last week. It's not. I mean, yeah, we're talking about poker stars again, but the protests are new. I was talking about the protests, not necessarily what poker stars has been doing. But good news, Jay Acosta. This topic's over. Let's move on to the topic of ultimate poker. Now, I should give the disclaimer that I had some preliminary talks that ended up going nowhere to go work for Ultimate Poker. And this is how it happened. I didn't actively seek them out, but uh, back when I could still post on 2 Plus 2, I expressed some frustration with some things I found on Ultimate Poker that I thought needed to be fixed and that they were not taking seriously. And I basically called them out on what I felt were a lot of boneheaded mistakes that were holding them down. Now, at that point, there was no WSOB.com yet that was up and running, and... uh, uh, but I was very critical of ultimate uh, of ultimate poker, and I told them, "Look, you need to hire someone who really, really gets it from the poker community, a longtime player who knows what players want, who knows what players need, who will have the authority to make changes, someone people trust some someone people know they can take their concerns to, and their concerns will be handled, and you need to fix the obvious big problems that are really." irritating everyone, especially things that are small and easy to fix. 
Well, when I said this, I said kind of offhandedly, look, I'll even come do it if you want. I'll even come work for you if you want. And I even concluded with saying, look, I'm no one special. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anyone. But just get someone there who can be good at this role because you need it. So surprisingly, I got messages from some people in kind of like middle management in Ultimate Poker who were also acting as representatives on 2 Plus 2 who said, yeah, you know what? We are hiring. We would like to talk to you. So I thought, oh, cool. Because I've really wanted to work at one of these new legalized online poker rooms. I think it would be an interesting job. I think it would be a fun job. I think it would be a challenging job. And I think I bring all the right tools to the table. I have a software background. I'm a long, long time veteran of online poker. I understand the industry extremely well. I understand what the players want and don't want extremely well. And people know who I am. They know they can trust me. They know I've been around for a long time. They know I'm someone who would take their concerns seriously. And I think I could bring a loyal following to any site I was working at. It's just a matter of who wants to give me a chance and hire me. Now, I don't need the money that badly, and I'm not desperate for work, but it's one of the few jobs I would actually like to have at this point. So I was excited for a moment, but then I got the bad news. The bad news was they did not want to hire me for the role I was talking about. They wanted to hire me as a software developer. (laughs) And that would have been great like 20 years ago, but not now. I don't want to be a code monkey. That's, That's not what I feel like doing. I mean, like if I was broke and needed a job, sure, I'd be happy to program for a living, but I I don't want to do it. I I don't want to go to a poker site and take directions from other people to write code. I'm not saying it's a terrible job. I'm just saying it's not a job I'm interested in at this point in my life. At this point in my life, I want either no job or some kind of uh, management type position where I make decisions about things. So I tried to explain this to them. And I was trying to explain, look, first of all, I'm not an active programmer. I haven't worked in the software industry since 2003. And if you're looking for someone to write code who has been working more actively in that uh, you know, in that realm with probably better knowledge, uh, especially on uh, more uh, modern platforms, I, I think that... Uh, I'm not the best choice here. I think you could hire someone cheaper and probably better than me as far as writing code at this point. So that's not really what you should do. And it still didn't really get across to them. They were kind of saying, well, you know, but we we need programmers right now. You know, we we have a lot of jobs that we, we need done, blah, blah, blah. Like, I understood where they were coming from, but really I was being under, underutilized if that were to be my role. And it wasn't a ro- it wasn't a role I wanted. It just was not a role I wanted. So again, I explained that that's not really what I wanted to do. And from that point, things kind of stalled. They never said no. They never said yes. They never said, let's talk about it further. It kind of just died there. Kind of like, well, we'll think about it and talk later, and then we never talked again. I think 
partially from lack of interest on their end, partially from lack of interest on my end, because I wasn't going to chase after anyone and beg for a job. It's one of these things like, I can help, or at least I think I can if you want to give me a shot, but I'm not going to chase after you to do it. Now, after this happened, I wasn't bitter because, as I said, I didn't need the job. It was just something that kind of fell into my lap as a possible opportunity, and then, uh, and then it just didn't occur. But still, I did not see anything changing for the better. Now, the funny thing is the guy I spoke to on the phone was very knowledgeable. I expected to get a call from an idiot who had no clue about what poker players wanted, what they needed, what the problems were with the site, what needed fixing on the site. This guy knew all of that. This guy was very in touch with what needed to be done. So I asked him, okay, then how come it hasn't been done? And he enlightened me with something that seemed to make sense. He said, unlike poker stars, which can just change their software whenever they feel like it, we can't do that because if we change our software, we have to get regulatory approval for the software change, and there's a big process to do that. We can't just roll out a new software change when we feel like it. So we have a lot of things on the table to do, and you'll see on our next update there will be a lot of improvement. But it's going to be slower than you're used to with the non-regulated market because we have to have the regulators approve whatever we do. So I said, oh, I never knew that. And he also enlightened me about a number of the other regulatory challenges they were going through. And I, I had a new appreciation for why Ultimate Poker was not performing as well as I thought they should. But I was still a little bit confused when I hung up the phone because I just wasn't getting the idea that they fully understood uh, how important it was to fix some of these irritating problems that didn't even require a lot of effort to fix or to uh, market the software, not market this, market the, uh, the product properly to get grinders to want to play on there and to want to start games and want to be loyal to the site. It kind of seemed like it seemed like to me they had a collection of talented people and smart people who just didn't mesh well together. It would be like a really talented basketball team where individually a lot of the players are really good, but they just don't play well as a team. Kind of like the Cleveland Cavaliers of 2014. (laughs) So... That was my impression there, and I watched Ultimate Poker fail. They fell way behind in New Jersey, where they put a lot of priority into developing, but uh, fell way behind there, eventually closed when they were a big fail site, and they had kind of a a way out of there when uh, Trump, who they were associated with there, did not uh, keep to their end of the bargain. So then they only existed... In Nevada. Now, I took a look at Ultimate Poker at about 5.15 p.m. today, Nevada time. Should be a prime hour for poker on a weekday. And how many games were running above 25 cent, 50 cent? How many games were running at 5.15 p.m. Pacific time on Ultimate Poker Above 25 cent, 50 cent. Anybody have a guess? 
Anybody have a guess? Zero point zero. No, 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 no. That's not a nice guess. That's that's not a good guess. Zero games over twenty five fifty cents? Are you kidding me? The first legalized and regulated site in the United States, you're telling me had zero games over twenty five fifty? That's not true. It is absolutely not true. They had much more than zero. Much more than zero. They had one. One game! They had one game running above 25 cent, 50 cent on the entire site at 5.15 p.m. today. Now, they did have 67 players, not 67 games, but 67 players at about, I don't know, eight tables total of microstakes games ranging between 1 cent, 2 cent, and 25 cent, 50 cent. And they had another 14 players at microstakes Omaha games. But they've basically become a microstakes site and still with fewer than 100 active players around their peak. That's awful. What a failure. But it goes beyond that. Now, we've known this for a long time. They've been a fail site. I'm not telling you anything new. I bet Jay Acosta, let me look in the chat. I bet he's complaining that it's the same show as we had before. He's just not saying anything. But I'm not telling you anything new right now. But I will tell you some new things in a moment. When I get to my notes about this. I should have these up, but I don't. I thought I had them up. Where are they? All right, here's my notes. The big news about Ultimate Poker, and this isn't very well known, it's not a complete secret, but it's not very well known, is that most of the original employees, including high-level employees at Ultimate Poker, who were there at the beginning, have either quit or been fired. Pretty much a whole new team there. Now let's think about that for a second. Remember how excited I was when I was talking about possibly working for Ultimate Poker? What a cool job that seemed like. Now do you think that was a unique feeling to me? Do you think I was just a weirdo who found excitement for possibly working at an online poker site? No. This was a very coveted job for many in online poker, especially post-Black Friday, where it's harder to win money as a professional poker player these days. So how come, with what seems like such a great job, how come everyone's gone? How come they've lost so many people? Well, the rumor I've heard, and I've been told this by several inside sources at Ultimate Poker, What I've heard is that CEO Tom Breitling is to blame. Ultimate Gaming CEO Tom Breitling. He's said to be difficult to work with and not knowledgeable enough about the online poker market to be in the position he's in. So I've been told he makes dumb decisions, is inflexible, basically rules with an iron fist, and when people try to explain to him why he's wrong, he doesn't listen to them and uh, forces them to do it his way. 
Now, it's fine for a CEO to assert himself, but basically uh, he's been uh, he wants them to all go down with the ship. Uh, it's, it's like they're all standing on a boat that's rapidly leaking and he's denying that the ship is sinking. And he doesn't want them patching it up. So what happens is they jump off the ship. They realize this is not their dream job. They realize this is more trouble than it's worth. Or they get fired. They, they uh, argue too much and get canned. Or they just get tired of being there. They get tired of the atmosphere. They get tired of trying to fix problems that will never be fixed unless they're done right. And they're not allowed to do them right. Now here's a bit of history with Ultimate Poker you may not know. Ultimate Poker developed their own proprietary software, which is different than the other legalized poker sites you're seeing. WSOP.com is actually running 888.com software. The Borgata is running Party Poker software. There's already talks for sites to run PokerStars software. Why? Because these are mature, existing platforms that people know, people are familiar with. These platforms work, and uh, there's not a big development curve on them. They're already ready to go. It's like a turnkey operation. So developing your own software from scratch is very risky. Now, it can be done. Think about it. PokerStars, they initially developed from scratch, and... I'll go as far as saying that the original PokerStars was still very good. The PokerStars I played in April 2003, I thought the software was great, even by today's standards. So you can develop a good software product if you really know what you're doing, if you have a strong company developing that software and they know exactly what is needed and what's required for development. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned before, it's even more important to get this right than it was on PokerStars because it's so difficult to change things. Once you go live and there's problems, you have to go through a lot to release a new version. Well, Ultimate Gaming, headed by Tom Breitling, purchased a company called CyberArts for $25 million in the year 2011. And this is the company that designed this awful proprietary software that they have. This is the software that had no waiting list. This was the software that uh, drew a card to give you the button and uh, allowed people to exploit it that way by just uh, sitting in and only playing if they could dealt the button and if not leaving. Uh, This is the software that had tons of crashes This is a software that had all kinds of other major bugs and all kinds of other annoying features or lack of features. Uh, Basically, the software was terrible. And Ultimate Poker surprisingly saw it fit to go live with it just so they can be first to market. They didn't do a good job testing it. They didn't do a good job consulting with regular poker grinders to point out faults with it before they went live with it and officially got it uh, approved. They spent $25 million on this 
and came out with crap. They came out with a big turd. And that already put them way, way in the hole because the site's not doing well. And to recoup $25 million at the pace that they're making money or, shall I say, losing money, it's not going to happen. So that was the first mistake was purchasing cyber arts for $25 million, who then produced a poor product. Now, they could have turned this around to some degree, but um, when they were having problems with their New Jersey pro- or their Nevada product, instead of looking to fix that and putting the energy in there, what they ended up doing was putting their resources into getting online in New Jersey, thinking that would be their savior, which was a big mistake. Because, yeah, they got online in New Jersey. Yeah, they did better than they did in Nevada, but it ultimately did not work out. They ultimately shut down because they did not bring a good product into New Jersey, and the market in New Jersey was already pretty bloated with some pretty big players over there in uh, Party Poker and WSOP.com. So rather than running off to New Jersey, what they should have done is really focused on getting their product working the way they want it to work and the way it should work, and then go to New Jersey with a better product. But they devoted too much energy to New Jersey, and in fact, it was around that time when they were thinking of hiring me as a programmer because their programmers were stretched so thin with the New Jersey effort. But you saw how that worked out. Uh, Now, what really perplexed me was that a lot of the things I complained about, and I know William Reynolds, who at times can be a jerk, but he really went off on Ultimate Poker after he parted ways with them. Uh, He mentioned a lot of things that didn't work right with a site that he repeatedly emailed them about when he did work for them and they ignored him over and over and over again. And he said they seemed more interested in stupid social media efforts than getting a working product going and fixing silly bugs and silly features that uh, were pissing people off when they were on the site. And I found the same thing. And so here they released a new version after I had this conversation with that guy who worked at Ultimate Poker, and nothing that we had talked about on the phone was fixed. (laughs) And I thought, what? Now this makes no sense. Now this makes absolutely no sense. I understand if you can't fix something tomorrow because you need to go through a long regulatory process to fix it, but how if you have over a month or two months or whatever to release your next version... How are these fixes not in that version? What's your excuse now? Well, I never got it because me and this guy never continued the conversation. And I wasn't interested because by then my uh, prospects of working there had fallen through. Well, I've gotten some clarity here. I've finally gotten some clarity as to why these things were not happening. As to why... Obvious things to fix, obvious problems were not being addressed despite a lot of smart and capable people being employed by Ultimate Poker. And that is upper management was running interference. Upper management would not let them. Upper management was dictating what they would do, where they would do it, when they would do it, how they would spend their time, and ignored their concerns. Upper management basically said, yeah, you guys were a big part of the poker community, but you know nothing. We don't respect your opinion. We 
We know you were once online poker players. We know you know a lot about this stuff, but, but somehow your opinion is meaningless to us. Somehow we know better than you. And Tom Breitling was supposedly, from what I heard, one of the biggest offenders of this management style. So what was needed to be done could not be done because upper management did not want it done. So the ones who really could have and wanted to change things could not get it done because upper management was blocking them. It's almost like a Dilbert cartoon. Now, I've suggested for a long time, in addition to these software improvements, they really should run some very aggressive promotions and get some loyal grinders on there. And the way they could do this, I said, was be to not charge rake. Have it be rake-free for a while. Yeah, it's desperate, but at least you'll get a loyal following. At least you'll get people back on the site. You'll get games running again. Or make it rake-free for people who commit to play a certain number of hands or at least spend a certain number of hours sitting in games waiting for people. Do something to encourage people to want to play there. Even hire props if you have to. But get games going on the site. And do something to attract people over there from sites like Party and WSOP.com. Do something that the others are not doing. And they didn't do it. They were just staying the course. They were just trying to imitate the other sites. They were trying to imitate poker stars. And they figured, hey, you know, if we basically offer what the other sites offer, uh, we should do just fine. Even though the other sites are better known and better trusted and have better marketing. But we'll still do fine somehow. Well, they didn't. And that's where they are today. I already took all my money off that fail site, by the way. I got, uh, I mean, there hasn't been a limit hold'em game running on there in ages. Well, when researching this topic, I found that CEO Tom Breitling released some idiotic videos in May of 2004. He released these on the anniversary of Ultimate Poker first going live, which was April 30th, 2014. That was the anniversary. The date they went live was the 30th of April, 2013. So starting April 30th, 2014 and throughout May, uh, Tom Breitling released these videos trying to explain, quote, lessons learned during the first year of operation there. Now, before I watched these, I thought it would be a self-aware exercise of saying, hey, Here's how we screwed things up. Here's how we're going to do it better in the future, which I think would have been great. When you're struggling, the public likes to see you say, hey, I messed up. Here's how it's going to be different. Then they have faith in you that you understand the problem and you're not going to repeat the problem. But that's not what we got from Tom Breitling, who, from what I can see in these videos, seems like a pretty arrogant guy. Uh, Here is Tom Breitling telling everyone that Nevada regulation is to blame for his site's failure. Welcome back to year one, Lessons Learned, the video blog series, where the theme is the technology is working. As the first regulated online gaming company to go live in the U.S. in April of 2013, we feel uniquely positioned to run through the top lessons learned during the first year. And the theme of the year could be summed up in one word, regulation. Regulation means online gaming is finally legitimate. For a decade, illegal operators made billions of dollars from American players without providing consumer protections or paying a dime in taxes. 
Some people saw this as the online poker boom. We saw it as the lost decade. Billions of dollars were siphoned out of the U.S. without the creation of a single job on American soil. In a word, regulation now means victory. Finally, real money online gaming can be trusted by customers and taxed by governments. And jobs have been created in the U.S. This is a far-reaching triumph that we can't even begin to measure right now. As a result of a series of events, from Black Friday to the reinterpretation of the Wire Act in December of 2011, it paved the way for online gaming to be sanctioned and regulated on a state-by-state basis. The state of Nevada was the first to do so for online poker in 2013, and its gaming regulators positioned our company to lead the way. This was both an honor and a privilege, but it was also a huge responsibility and a lot of work. To be precise, it meant a lot of testing. We had to show that our technology would deny anybody under the age of 21 from playing. We had to prove that anybody standing inches outside the Nevada border could not get into our online game. And not only did we have to prove it, but we had to prove it again and again and again. During our Nevada field trial, we generated the equivalent of more than 700,000 pages of documents. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what 700,000 pages of documents would look like stacked on top of each other, but that single column of paper would stand among the tallest buildings in Las Vegas. Regulation paved the way for our business, but it also added friction and obstacles to the customer experience. Now, these are necessary obstacles, but necessary obstacles are still challenges we needed to address. Our company devoted a great deal of time and resources to this process. And as the front runner, there were additional pressures. Everyone in the industry was watching to see how we'd do. Yeah, so here come the excuses. You already hear the excuses starting that uh, it's creating friction. And he likes to use that word, friction, for the players. And this regulation was creating challenges for them to where they couldn't succeed the way that they were hoping they would. Now, that's partially true. The regulation is a pain in the ass for reasons I already mentioned. And players have to go through a lot of hoops to even get on these sites in the first place with the geolocation and everything else and the ID checks. But it's not like you can get on real money sites you know, the existing sites all that easily either. You still have to send them ID and other crap, so it's not like it's super seamless there either. It's a little easier, but not totally easy. Uh, the thing is, he's already making excuses for why the site's failing. This is a year into it. This is when it was very clear the writing was on the wall. It was a fail site. And and this is uh, him making excuses rather than owning up to his own mistakes. That said, regulators are primarily concerned with consumer protections. It's up to us on the business side to find ways to meet or surpass their requirements and also set up a good, sustainable business model. We liken it to the automobile crash test. If you want to get your vehicle on the road, you have to pass the test. It's binary. You either do or you don't. For us, that day was April 30th, 2013. On that day, we showed the world that our technology worked and our games could be trusted. Nothing in the U.S. online gaming industry was or ever will be the same after April 30th, 2013. On April 30th, 2013, 
we showed the public that we could put out a crappy $25 million product that barely worked, that crashed all the time and had a bunch of stupid bugs that if we hired even a single play tester who knew anything about poker uh, would not have occurred. We showed the world that on April 30th, 2013. We showed that being first to work to market doesn't mean you're best to market. Now, this is a really dumb video. This is called The Pirates. You might think, what pirates? The Somalian pirates? The pirates of the Caribbean? No. The pirates. He's referring to the illegal online poker sites that still continue to run after Black Friday and compete with Ultimate Poker. Now, at least in the previous video, it had more of a professional atmosphere to it, where he was wearing a jacket, where he was standing in an office. Here, he's wearing this idiotic black T-shirt that says, Ready, Set, Go on it. It really says, Ready, Set, Go. I'm not kidding. And he's sitting at a poker table with really, really awful chips in front of him that look like they came from the 99-10 only store. And... An old video game, it looks like Joust or something behind him, a, a coin-op video game from the 80s that's turned off. That's where he is. I, I think he's trying to show, like, uh, this is the fun environment where we work. But it's not supposed to be, like, a fun speech, as you'll hear. Uh, this is Tom Breitling blaming Bovada for Ultimate Poker's failure. This is a good one. Hello again, I'm Tom Breitling, Chairman of Ultimate Gaming, and welcome back to the video blog series, Year One, Lessons Learned, based on the journey of UltimatePoker.com and YouCasino.com. Now, we'd hoped that when internet gaming was made legal in the United States, that regulation would eliminate the unregulated or illegal operators, or as we like to call them, the pirates. And we call them pirates, but they're really parasites, feeding off the American player and offering absolutely no benefit to them or the American economy. Wrong. Wrong. So that's where you're wrong. What they're offering is reliable software. What they're offering is good marketing. What they're offering are good games. That's why people still play there. Even with all the challenges in playing on these illegal sites at this point, uh, they're still choosing them over Ultimate Poker because you have created such a fail site. So they are offering a, at least an opportunity for people to play a site with some action over 25 cent, 50 cent. They were the ones that created many of the problems in the first place. For years, they'd been operating without a license. They'd been breaking federal laws, breaking state laws, uh, not paying taxes. And once the pirates were kicked out on Black Friday, it seemed that the industry was in the position to get a fresh start. The problem is, as online gaming was sanctioned by Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey, New pirates stepped in and acted like they were completely legal. Oh, the new pirates. Is that anything like the ice pirates? The butt pirates? The new pirates. <laughs> the new pirates came in. Actually, they're not new pirates. Uh, the Merge Network existed before Black Friday, and uh, Bodog, Bovada, they've been around forever. These aren't new pirates. These are just the pirates that chose not to close shop after Black Friday. Unfortunately... These illegal operators present great risk to players for many reasons. And the pirates still have greater penetration than the legal sites because they're available Penetra in... Penetration? But pirates penetration? What's on this guy's mind? 100% or nearly 100% of the U.S. market, while the legal sites are operating in only three states today that contain less than 5% of the U.S. population. 
Now let me give you an example of the difficulty that this creates. The number one activity people do online is search. So if you go online and Google legal US online poker, this is what comes up as the top search item. Bovada, which is actually Bodog. Now this site states one of the largest real money poker sites. That's 100% legal after the new US rules went into effect. See, now that's not really true. What he's showing here is an affiliate site for Bovada. And these affiliates will say anything to get people to click on them and sign up for these sites and get their commission. But these, this isn't even Bovada saying this. Bovada never says they're 100% legal. This is some shady affiliate claiming it. So that's the first problem with that claim. But even if his claim was true, believe me, Tom, we all want to play legalized online poker. And the reason people are not playing on Ultimate Poker and they're playing Bovada is not only because Bovada is available in all 50 states, while Ultimate Poker is only available in Nevada. The reason they're not playing on Ultimate Poker is that you guys have not done the right things to make Ultimate Poker a success. You have not done what you needed to do to attract Nevada players. And therefore, the Nevada players chose to ignore your site and to go where they're familiar with, even sites where there is some risk to play and some risk to uh, get paid, such as Bovada and Merge. That shows you how much of a failure your site has been that people are choosing these shady, illegal online poker sites that could get busted any day over your legal one. And I understand it. Guess what, Tom? Last time I was in Nevada, guess what site I played on? It wasn't yours. It wasn't even WSOP.com. It was Bovada. That's where I played. Because that's where the games are. And they know what they're doing for the most part. All right. Now, these pirates accept Visa and MasterCard. They claim to be 100% legal in the U.S., as you can see from this screen grab. That's the messaging customers can be confused with. Now, there will always be pirates. But hopefully, these sites will get shut down and blocked. They are currently costing Nevada and New Jersey millions of dollars in tax revenues. One example about the seriousness of the issue is France, where a report came out that even though online poker is legal, 40% of French players still hold an active account with an unlicensed operator and play on a site that should not be available. And in New Jersey, the illegal sites are launching aggressive promotions targeting players during this early phase of the regulated launch. But the breakthrough will only come as more states decide to regulate, and if we reduce these friction points for customers, friction points the pirates don't have to deal with. As more largely populated states pass legislation... Yeah, there we go with the friction again. This guy loves to talk about friction. So basically he's saying uh, it's too hard for players to get on Ultimate Poker because of the regulation, because of the friction, and it's too easy for them to get on the Bovada, so they do, and that keeps our site from thriving. Not our fault. Blame the regulation. Regulation. The industry will grow with the companies that have licenses and are doing it the right way. Right now, many key stakeholders in states around the country are learning more about the world of real money online gaming. This education must continue. The more states... No, this regulation should have already existed. Online poker existed for about 14 years before you guys opened on April 30th, 2013. You should have already had your education. You should have already known. You should have already understood the market and what people want. You don't get educated on the job when there is 14 years of experience already out there.
that follow, the more educated everyone's going to be. And the more educated the U.S. population is, the sooner we'll be able to operate in a healthy environment with no pirates. See you next time as we continue with our theme of the technology works. And thanks for watching. And don't forget to try out our games at Ultimate Poker. Okay, so, so he's trying to say, we'll start doing better when people realize how bad these pirates are. And when the U.S. government puts a stop to the pirates and when they stop regulating us so hard, or at least the American people understand why we're regulated so hard. And they'll go through the additional hoops to play on here. So that's why we're not doing well. Not, not our fault, but it's because the pirates are taking our business and they're taking our business partially because uh, regulation makes it so tough uh, to compete with these sites. That's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of crap. If they did things right, they could compete. Here's his discussion of uh, customer awareness, how he thinks that Ultimate Poker is going to grow and do well. There's plenty of room to still grow. Just no one realizes they're out there. Hello again. I'm Tom Bright. Now, hold on, Tom. Hold on. I've got something more important to say here. Yeah, I, I have a World Series of Poker update for you guys. Uh, someone has finished ninth at uh, the World Series of Poker final table. There is a ninth place finisher who is now out. His name is Mark Newhouse. Yeah. I have to imagine Mark is not very happy right now. Here's what happened. Uh, now, I'm I, not even that surprised to hear this. When I heard someone was out, I thought it would probably be him because he was just kind of, he just didn't have it today. Hand number 56, so I guess he lasted 56 hands there. Uh, Jorich Van Hoof opened to 1.1 million from the hijack. From the cutoff, Mark Newhouse called. Will Tonking in the small blind, 3-bet to 3.75 million. Van Hoof folded quickly, and Newhouse called 3.75 million. The flop was 2-4 jack, rainbow. Tonking let out for 3.5 million, so actually less than his 3-bet was. Newhouse called. Fl turn was a 4 on the... Uh, putting two hearts out there and pairing the board fours. Tonking thought about it a little bit and checked. And Newhouse bid out $4.5 Tonking called and the river another jack. So now the board is jack-jack, 4-4-2. And Tonking checked. Newhouse moved all in for his last $10.2 Tonking sat and thought about it, and he called. Newhouse flipped over pocket tens. William Tonking flipped over pocket queens. That was the end of Mark Newhouse, who will win 730000 the same money he already was paid. So he actually gets nothing here. Uh, because he already got that 730 from what he did in July. 
And William Tonking with these Queens unassisted moves to first in chips with 48 and a half million. Very disappointing for Mark Newhouse. Uh, right now, two players really up on top. William Tonking with 48 and a half and uh, Jord van Hoof with 45 and a half. Everybody else has less than 26. And there's a few short stacks with less than 16. So uh, I haven't been watching, but uh, people in the chat were saying that Mark Newhouse is playing loose aggressive. And really, that's how he got here. Mark Newhouse, admittedly, and he said this on our podcast here, he said this on our show, that he played much looser than everybody else, that he was playing just about every hand and seeing when he could flop and seeing if he could run people off hands who he didn't think would be willing to take the risk against him. He played a very loose, aggressive style, and it worked. He clobbered the competition and came into the final table for the second time in a row with healthy chips. But his style didn't work today. He did have some tough situations like this one with uh, tens against queens on a board where it's not clear the tens aren't good. He did have the set he ran into. Uh, I'm not going to second guess his play here, uh, especially because I'm just reading a few poker news updates, but I'm sure a very disappointing finish for Mark Newhouse. When he was on our show, he was saying that uh, it was already very demoralizing last year to finish ninth but that he kind of made peace with it because he came in so short-stacked. But he said, this year is different. This year I know better what I'm doing. This year I've already been there. This year I have a great plan of attack. This year I have chips. This year I want to go all the way. And he got the same ninth. Now, you can look at it another way. Uh, if someone asked you, hey, you know, going into 2013, hey, Mark, uh, would you mind if you finished ninth both this year and next year? Mark would say, oh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, sure. That's a great result. Hey, give me ninth place twice in a row. But uh, the truth is when you have this four-month wait and you have these dreams of finishing first, to go out ninth both times is is brutal because it's the worst result that you can have at that point. And especially when you are coming in with more chips this time and think this time it's going to be different, and then it's not different. So I'm sure, I'm sure Mark Newhouse just feels awful right now, and I feel bad for the guy. It's hard to say you feel bad for someone winning 730000 two years in a row at the, at World, uh, the World Series of Poker main event, but I feel bad for him. So November 10th, 2014 won't be... A day Mark Newhouse remembers fondly, that's for sure. Anyway, getting back to the uh, ultimate poker topic. <laughs> I'm getting complaints in the chat room that I just uh, spoiled people. <laughs> they were watching ESPN, which I guess is behind, and I spoiled it for them. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I didn't think of that. I just I noticed on the poker news updates that he was out, and I I didn't uh, didn't think of the chat room not having seen it yet. 
but I won't do it again. <laughs> Bobby Orr is really mad at me about it. I didn't mean to do that, though. I just, uh, I didn't think of that. I just, I noticed Newhouse was out and felt like I had to say something. Let's go back to Tom Breitling. Chairman of Ultimate Gaming, and welcome back to the video blog series, Year One, Lessons Learned from Our Journey here at UltimatePoker.com and YouCasino.com. Today's blog is about customer awareness, and a big challenge for the industry in 2013 was one that shouldn't have surprised us, but it did. It's now apparent that a large number of people simply are still not aware that real money internet gaming has been legalized. After New Jersey launched online gaming last November, we did a survey in Atlantic City. And despite the time devoted to the story by the media and millions of dollars that the industry spent on advertising, only one in every 10 people who were surveyed in Atlantic City actually knew that online gaming for real money was legal. Only one out of 10. This proves that the business will grow over time as people become more aware that the games are safe that the companies are properly licensed and regulated. No, it's not proof. What that proof, the proof there is people were t- tuning out the message. Uh, the one in 10 who knew were the ones who had the interest in it, who had followed it, who perked up when they heard about real money online poker that's legal. For everybody else who doesn't want to play real money online poker, it meant nothing. They, they just tuned it out. They didn't bother to pay attention or remember it. And that's why you had the difference. That's why 90% of the people surveyed there did not know, because it was something they did not care about. And that the digital entertainment experience is rich and exciting. Another survey indicated that only 3% of people had set up an online account. That's about 250,000 accounts so far. But that 7% would do so at some point in the future. So we're expecting much more activity in the months to come. Yeah, sure. See, you do a survey. Do you have an account yet? Yes. Okay. Do you have an account yet? Uh, no. You going to set one up? Uh, yeah, I guess I will. Okay, yes. Well, the truth is if you hadn't set one up, you probably aren't going to because you don't have much interest. The people who are going to be your good customers, are they're going to be the ones who are excited to see that legalized online poker is back. They're not going to be the people who are waiting months and months and months to even bother to get into it. Those are the customers you're not likely to get much out of so to say that they only have 3% and that they're expecting another 7%, basically more than two times what they already have expected to sign up later, this is based on some dumb survey where some people are saying, yeah, yeah, I'll sign up later. Yeah, a lot of people say they will do something later, but they don't. That doesn't mean that this uh, other group of people, this uh, large group you're expecting of uh, more than 500,000 players in New Jersey is going to sign up and they just haven't gotten around to it yet. They just don't have any interest to. But what we also came to realize is that there is a lot of confusion about the illegal operators and the historical online gaming industry that's really muddied the landscape. Uh, The the pirates. The pirates are being blamed again. The obstacle here is about figuring out how to get on people's radar. How do we get them to know that online casino gaming and online poker for real money are legal and that they can play now with trusted operators? We have learned that building customer awareness does take time. Our sister company, the UFC, went through the same cycle. The UFC... Yeah, it's totally different. Totally different. ...folks had to prove to everybody in event after event that mixed martial arts wasn't a spectacle, that it was a sport with a high skill set, that it was mainstream entertainment that customers wanted to see. 
For us, we are not only battling the stereotypes of online gaming being run by the illegal operators who burned customers in the past, we're also up against the pirates. And more on that in a different blog. <laughs> the pirates. The pirates. Customers need to realize that it's now legal and that the only place they can play in a safe, secure, and legal way is on the regulated sites like ultimatepoker.com and ucasino.com. Thanks for watching. See you next time. And Yeah, that's not why people are staying away, though. They're not staying away because they're confused and they think your legalized online poker room is illegal. They're just staying away because they've lost interest in the whole thing or they never had interest to begin with or they go on the site and it sucks and they don't want to stay. Or they hear from friends that the site sucks and they don't bother signing up. Hello again. This video blog is about the size of the market. Uh, I think we can all agree that things happen that are beyond your control. Things wow, that wow, that's groundbreaking stuff there. We can all agree things happen beyond our control. Thank you. I did not know that. Knock you off balance. One of my jobs as chairman is to control and accept change. Well, with the creation of... <laughs> That's so funny given what I've heard about this guy. He, uh, he does control things, but uh, he doesn't accept change. He, he demands everything be done his way. ...of a new industry, there are a lot of unknowns. And our company was pushed off balance just a little bit by the revenue projections that existed for the legal online gaming market. Why does it sound like he's in the bathroom? He's in some big office, like with a bookshelf behind him with almost no books on it, and some sort of weird uh, airplane, like uh, model airplane in the background, or some brass airplane. It's not a model, it's like a brass airplane. It's a really strange thing he has in the background. It almost looks like a trophy. But it's not exactly uh, a good environment to be doing this video. It sounds like he's in the bathroom. In its first year. In Nevada, the estimates were for an $80 million market. New Jersey, estimates were in the $250 million to $1.2 billion range. We all know that the only ones living and breathing the actual business 24 hours a day is us, the operators. Everyone from analysts to reporters were prognosticating at the size of the market with numbers and trends and predicting penetration in the market and average spends per customer. Well, the revenue estimates were too high. And there were some very good reasons for this. When regulations enter the picture, there are complications that cut into the size of the market. I learned a long time ago in my Expedia days that each computer click you ask someone to make during the e-commerce process turns away about 10 to 20% of those customers. Looking at it another way, you lose one in 10 customers with every click. People who'd played online poker in the past never had to go through this new detailed process filled with extra clicks. No company ever before had asked for a social security number or for geolocation information. It was like asking people to take their shoes off and step through a metal detector at the airport after years of walking straight to the gate. It's only natural that some of these people would think twice about flying. Some will take an attitude of wait and see. All of these items can be summed up in one word. Friction. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not the friction again. This guy loves friction. That's all he talks about is friction. That's, every excuse he has for failure has to do with friction or pirates. What about pirates creating friction? They'd be like the ultimate nightmare for this guy. Ah, crap. Now I lost my place.
Some will take an attitude of wait and see through experience and affects revenues. Now, it doesn't seem logical to require the same amount of information to play a hand of online poker as you need to get a mortgage. The average deposit for real money online gaming, 100 bucks. Average mortgage in America, about $175,000. So these points of friction have been challenging and we've learned to be more fluid in the running of our business. Now this is supposed to be a leisure activity and it feels like work for many of our players. But wait, how have they changed? It's the same sign-up process it's always been. I say, I don't get that. What if you learned? See, I, I don't understand what they're doing differently now than what they did when they started. It can't feel like work. As we address these friction points, the market's true potential will... It doesn't feel like work because everyone working for you quits. ...merge. Bottom line, things are just getting started. The three states of Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey only represent about 4% of the U.S. population. And most of us believe that all Americans should be protected and have a chance to play the games they love. We believe that the breakthrough is a matter of education and innovation and that it's right around the corner. There are 300 million plus people in the U.S., of which 91% of U.S. adults now have a mobile phone, and two out of three of them went to a land-based casino last year. These folks will soon be playing online, if they're not already. So you have to see this in the same way you might look at Amazon's numbers. In fact, in the beginning, Jeff Bezos used to be constantly asked just how big Amazon could become. Well, nobody's asking that now. In the early days, it's estimated that Amazon did $35,000 in revenue in its first month and $500,000 in its first year, 1995. Last year, Amazon did $74.5 billion. Google answered 10,000 search queries a day back in 19... You hear that? That's the sound of your entire poker site going down the toilet, the same bathroom it sounds like that you're sitting in as you do the stupid video. I've heard enough. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Comparing yourselves to Amazon? What? In 1995? I mean, come on. Come on here. You're nothing like Amazon. You never will be Amazon. Amazon's a different industry. 1995 on the internet was an incredibly different time. Nobody was buying things on the internet in 95. That's why they sold 35,000 in one year, as you claim. So this is a ridiculous uh, comparison he's doing. And it's just excuse making. It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Friction and pirates and and the market being underestimated or overestimated and everything except you guys are doing things wrong. Everything except that you're a crappy CEO. Everything except you have a huge turnover in employees because nobody can work with you. Everything except players were pretty much giving you on a silver platter what needed to be done to make them happy and you weren't doing it. I mean, it couldn't be more clear to me. Some of the things you mention affect your ability to succeed, yes. But you did a lot of this to yourself. This guy's excuses reminds me of uh, a married woman who always has a different excuse as to why she won't have sex with her husband. One night it might be She's too tired from working all day. The next day it might be she has a headache. The next day it might be uh, 
uh, she had to run around all day with the kids and isn't in the mood. Uh, the next day, it might be she has to help the kids with their homework. The next day, it might be she has a stomachache. The next day, it might be that she didn't take a shower and feels kind of gross and doesn't want to have sex. There, there are so many excuses that you can get. But the bottom line is, if weeks after weeks, months after months pass, and it just doesn't happen, the guy will get frustrated and probably either leave or cheat because it's just not happening. She's not executing. And excuses don't matter at that point. So Tom Breitling is the woman who's not putting out and is making excuses. He's telling us about all the headaches he has and that's why it's okay that we haven't been having sex with him. Anyway, this is circling the drain. What they're basically waiting for here, they're waiting to see if other larger markets like California get going and then maybe they can salvage this whole thing and operate in those places. So they're trying to tread water as much as they can in Nevada and stay up because if they go down completely, that really hurts them. They want to be able to say to these other states when they get going, like California, hey, we're running right now. We're ready to start. Not like we've been shut down for a long time because we failed, but let us in. It's a big difference. They are now attempting two Hail Mary promotions to get people on the site. They tried one at the end of October, charging zero rake at 2-5 no limit only, hoping to get some higher limit action there. As I mentioned, there was only one game running above 25 cent, 50 cent when I looked, and that was just a single 1-2 game. But it only got a tepid response. It ran sometimes. Other times it didn't run. But uh, uh, when the promotion was over, 2-5 was done. And even when the promotion was running, it's not like people flocked over there to play. Now they are charging rake again at 2-5, no limit, but they're running a $10,000 bad beat jackpot for $0.10-25, no limit, and higher for quad 10s or better beaten. But that hasn't improved their traffic. It's the same old, same old. This is crap. This is, this is too little, too late. This is not going to save the sinking ship. So, what a poorly run company. And, you know, when you have most of your employees disappearing, when they're all jumping ship, when everyone's getting frustrated and leaving, you know there's a big problem with the company. Every company will have some turnover. There's always some asshole employees that either get fired or quit because of their own issues. And, you know, you as a company did all you could, but the employee was just bad. That happens. Sometimes you get unlucky and get a few bad employees. That happens too. But when just about everybody who was with the original Ultimate Poker is now gone, that's a bad sign. For example, take a look at uh, Terrence Chan's Twitter page, and he describes himself as, quote, Fun-employed. <laughs> Not unemployed, but fun-employed. So he's gone, and, and pretty much everybody that you remember working for Ultimate Poker is gone. They're not there anymore. Some of these very dedicated guys are now gone. And I used to think it was their fault. I used to think that it was those guys not working together as a team well. I used to think that you had a bunch of smart guys together that just couldn't 
quite get it done. They couldn't put it together. They couldn't uh, make a good team out of it. But I think I was wrong. From what I'm hearing, it was upper management that wouldn't let them complete their job the way they were trying to, the way they needed to, and they couldn't stand it anymore. There's a reason all these people are no longer working there. And I've heard a lot of things. I've heard a lot of bad things about the upper management at Ultimate Poker. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes drama and fighting and dissatisfaction and unhappiness, and most of it surrounded the way management approached the project. And with the lack of power that was given to people below upper management to make decisions. And that the upper management made terrible decisions on their own. Well, here's a guy who made terrible decisions. Howard Lederer. Howard Lederer, uh, it really bothers him that his legacy has been ruined. Prior to the Full Tilt Poker fiasco, prior to the discovery that they had stolen all our money, Howard Lederer was a respected figure in poker. He was known as the Poker Professor he was known as generally a good guy, though uh, Daniel Negreanu definitely didn't like him. Uh, people respected Howard. People looked up to Howard. The only real black mark on Howard's record was the humorous, freaking weird dude email he sent about Gobbo Boy, but you had to laugh at that. He thought it was an internal memo. It got out accidentally thanks to an employee sending it to Gobbo Boy himself. And okay, everybody had a good laugh, but uh, for the most part, people thought pretty highly of Howard until Black Friday happened, and it turned out Howard, who was on the board of Full Tilt, uh, was one of the people responsible for stealing all the money. So Howard has been, for the last few years, trying to find a way to get back in poker's good graces. It's very important to him that people don't see him as a scumbag, they don't see him as a thief, they don't see him as a bad guy, but they just see him as someone who's kind of uh, a victim of circumstance or maybe a victim of Ray Batars, which he isn't. But he's trying to find a way to return to poker. And that's why he did those stupid interviews with Poker News, thinking that he was going to uh, bamboozle the community into believing that uh, he was innocent in this whole thing. So the question is, can Howard come back and will people accept him? We only have our good name. You can't borrow a bunch of money and then say, sorry, I don't have any money. And then like a month later, you come back into the poker world under a different name.
Okay, so that's uh, Seriously Serious' song about uh, Howard Lederer coming back to the poker world. Well, Howard kind of came back. Howard came back to the Poker Hall of Fame. He uh, was there for the Daniel Negreanu and Jack McClelland induction ceremony, which is really strange because Negreanu hates him and always has hated him. So definitely Negreanu didn't invite him and didn't want him there. But uh, Howard was there. Maybe McClelland invited him. But somehow he got an invite into the ceremony. There were two pictures taken of him. And to be honest, uh, Howard doesn't look very healthy. He looks kind of old. He looks... uh, he looks kind of broken down. He looks like this really took a toll on him. I, I don't feel sorry for him. He deserves it. But he does not look good. He's in his early 50s, but he does not look good. He has the look of someone where if I heard he died of a heart attack, I wouldn't be surprised. He doesn't have a healthy, happy look to him, which I'm glad to hear because he should be in jail, truthfully. He probably wouldn't be in jail anyway, even if they tried. He'd claim that he was incompatible with prison, and they'd probably let him off. <laughs> I mean, work for Ray Batar. But, yeah, Howard showed up to the Poker Hall of Fame. I, why even bother, Howard? I, I know this is your whole identity, you know, being part of poker, but it's ruined. You ruined it. This is what happens when you steal from the poker community. This is what happens when you steal hundreds of millions from the poker community and think they probably will not find out. Well, they found out. Black Friday happened. You couldn't pay anyone. It was found out that you took all the money on deposit. You and the other three there. It's too late. No one's going to forgive you. No one wants you back. No one's going to accept you. No one's going to laugh this off in a few years and say no big deal. No one's going to say, well, since we got our money off full tilt anyway, ultimately, then it's fine. No. You're always going to be seen as a thief, as a scumbag, as someone who let the poker community down, as a liar. You'll be in the same category as Russ Hamilton, and that's the way it's going to be. It looks more like... uh, Chris Ferguson is better equipped to accept his fate. He's not desperately trying to get into people's good graces again. He's kind of like, well, all right, poker doesn't like me anywhere. I'm just going to kind of fade to black. I'm just going to fade out. But Howard, he really wants to come back. Howard really wants everyone to remember him fondly. And it bothers him that it's not going to happen. But good, it shouldn't happen. Seriously, Sirius saying Negreanu took a coy shot at him during his speech. I would like a link to that or uh, something that I could understand. Uh, Seriously, Sirius also bringing up in chat that the Poker Hall of Fame is basically rigged, which I've discussed on the show before. I agree with him. And that he wouldn't be shocked if Howard did make it into the Poker Hall of Fame. You know, the one good thing about Howard making the Poker Hall of Fame would be it would be the final straw, I think, to convince people that the Poker Hall of Fame is a joke. And maybe then the appropriate backlash to that ridiculous Hall of Fame would cause some changes. In the meantime, Seriously Serious is dutifully getting me the quote from Negranu. 
I do want to hear what Negreanu said. I mean, imagine the way <laughs> what Negreanu must have thought. Imagine Negreanu's reaction. I mean, this is a guy who hates that family. He hates Annie Duke because Annie Duke mistreated him from the day he got into poker. You know, he's Negreanu. He wasn't uh, a famous player the second he started playing poker. So when he came in as a nobody, Annie Duke mistreated him, and he always remembered that. And then he just never liked Howard either, especially as Howard gave him a hard time for calling out Annie for the way Annie treated him. And uh, so Daniel has had so many bad things to say about Annie and Howard. Uh, In fact, really the only reason Negreanu talks to me when he sees me around is because he knows I don't like Annie. He knows we share an opinion on that topic. He knows if he wants to go off about Annie that uh, I'm the guy to talk to. Like that's, that's the main thing Daniel will talk about with me if he sees me. Yeah, uh, so Wicked Chops Poker apparently is the one that covered this. And that's what uh, Seriously Serious just linked me in the chat. And I guess uh, Negranu, uh during the speech, he said... I have had strong opinions about many of you in the room and really strong opinions about some of you. (laughs) Now, um, Negranu, by the way, was with Choice Center's founder, Robin Williams. No, not that Robin Williams, but with uh, Robin with a Y, Williams, and her very white teeth. And his agent, Brian Ballsbaugh, who uh, delivered an induction speech. Uh, Apparently at the Poker Hall of Fame induction ceremony, there were microphone problems all night. Uh, Every minute the mic would cut in and out. And uh, when Jack McClellan's mic cut out, he said, that's all right. We had the same problem with the mics 20 years ago. I guess that's fitting for such a ridiculous Hall of Fame here that the the microphone doesn't even work at their ceremony. And I I guess Phil Hellmuth actually uh, gave an induction speech for Jack McClellan. The whole thing is like an old boys network of poker and uh, it's very rigged and I've discussed it before. It's kind of funny with Negreanu bringing uh, Choice Center leadership over there and then Howard showing up. And what kind of scene was that? What kind of scene was that there with Negreanu bringing his... uh, Choice Center cult leadership with him, and then his nemesis Howard Letterer shows up for no reason to watch him get inducted. Like, what did Howard think? Okay, I'm coming here to watch a guy I hate getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. Sounds like a good evening. I mean, he's probably there for McClelland, but it's just funny of all times for Howard to resurface, it has to be when Negranu, of all people, is getting elected. So, anyway. That happened. Seriously, serious thing. He kind of wishes he was there to see it. I kind of do too now that I hear all this, especially with the uh, the Choice Center person and Howard being there. I mean, it could have been a good time. All right. So I don't know if you guys have ever played in an underground poker game. If you live in an area with live poker that's legal, there's really not much reason to play one. Uh, so if you live in L.A. or Vegas or Atlantic City 
or uh, the area of Florida with poker or Chicago or Detroit. You know, there's a lot of these major cities where you can find legal online, legal not online, legal live poker that you don't have to bother with these shady underground rooms. But in many areas of the country, such poker rooms that are legal do not exist. So if you want to play live poker, you have to play in these underground games. Now you have two things that you're afraid of when you go play these underground games. One, the game getting robbed. And two, the game getting busted. And both of these happen. I played in an underground game once. Uh, a former friend of mine, no, not probably the one you're thinking of, but a different one, uh, told me that he had played in a live game in L.A. And the competition was terrible at 5-10, no limit, that everyone just sucked big time. And he told me he was going on that particular night, and he said he could probably get me an invite. And it was at some like office building in L.A. So I said, all right, fine. So I decided to give it a try. So I went to this thing, and uh, you know, I had to ring them, tell them who I am. They, they bring some guy down to get me. They bring me in. Well, it's like uh, a room that uh, has a few poker tables. The dealers are all pretty girls. It's not uh, the typical dealer you're used to seeing at Commerce where they... Uh, very plain looking or male and barely speak English. These were uh, pretty girls, you know, who were under 30 dealing to you. And they had, you know, little hors d'oeuvres there you could eat and cookies or whatever, like little snacks on the side. Just one little problem. The maximum rake at a 510 no limit game was $25. Twenty-five freaking dollars. Like, so I won a big pot there, and I watched the dealer take a green chip out and drop it. And I said, "Did you just drop a green twenty-five chip?" She said, "Yes." I said, "What's the rake here?" She says, "Well, that's the maximum, ten percent up to twenty-five." Like, oh my god, that's awful. Now, yes, my friend was right that the players in this game were terrible. They were much worse than the five ten no limit players you would find at a regular brick-and-mortar casino, and definitely far worse than the 510 no-limit players you would find online who are mostly quite good. These players sucked, but that rake was just out of control. $25 maximum rake, you know, 10%, is terrible. Terrible. Unbeatable. Even with these terrible players. So as soon as I saw that $25 chip, I got up and left. And I said, never again. I wondered why I even bothered with this, given that uh, Commerce is not too far away. In fact, I actually drove to Commerce after this and played over there. This is a few years ago. But I was a little bit worried while I was there that the game would either get robbed or busted. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I could be at Commerce where this is not a concern. But when you're in, in an area without legal legal live poker, it's harder to just say oh, I won't play here because it's either play there or play nowhere. Well, there were some police officers in Tennessee that thought they had a good thing going. 
These were uh, deputy sheriffs in Knox County in Tennessee. And uh, in October of 2009, they uh, found there was an opportunity to protect the money and protect the game of an illegal live poker game going on in an apartment complex. So basically the players would show up to a hotel and they would buy in at the hotel. They would bring $110,000 each. It was a high stakes game. They would bring a hundred thousand as the buy-in and 10,000 for the house fee. So, I mean, I guess that's really bad rake, $10,000 rake. Crazy. But anyway, they brought 110K each for the game, of a 100 of which was to be used for the buy-in. Uh, there'd be 10 players, so I guess uh, $1.1 million, $1. million was collected in cash. And then the officers would count the money and split it up into two portions. And they would transport the money in two different vehicles, uh, basically escorting the vehicles. It wasn't transported in the police vehicles, but there would be two other vehicles that would then transport the money, and the police would make sure these vehicles got to where the game was safely. Now, I don't know why people are buying in, buying in in one place and playing in another, why they're not just doing it all in the same place. It never made much sense to me in this story, but that's the way it was. So they would show up at this hotel. They would buy in for this amount, then the police would drive the money, or at least escort the money being driven over to an apartment building where the game would take place. Then, once the game would start, uh, then the police officers would act as security in the game so it doesn't get robbed. So, I mean, it sounds pretty safe, right? Police are protecting your money. Police are protecting the game. The police were even turning on the lights on their car, you know, as if they're going to an emergency. So people get out of the way when they're escorting this poker money across town. Can you imagine you buy into an illegal poker game and the the police are giving you an escort with the lights flashing? Well, it turned out that this was not a real poker game. This was a sting set up by the FBI. None of it was real. The whole thing was to catch the cops in doing all of this. So they were all arrested. There were uh, uh, six law enforcement officers in Knox County, Tennessee, who were indicted for this. Uh, Now, one of the defendants, whose name is uh, Robbie Flood, Uh, He actually pled guilty. Nobody else has pled anything yet, but he pled guilty. And uh, strangely enough, the plea deal states that the following elements must be met for him to be guilty. Uh, One, the defendant obtained or attempted to obtain property from another. So he did. He obtained the cash. Two, that he did so knowingly by extortion under color of official right. So he didn't extort anyone. That's kind of strange. Three, that the property was given with the giver's consent. Of course, that's true. And four, that in so acting, interstate commerce was obstructed, delayed, or affected. So, number two and four are weird because he didn't extort anything and he also didn't delay interstate commerce. But it looks like the way they're attacking this 
with the prosecution is that uh, by turning on his lights and making traffic pull to the side as this uh, convoy of poker money went through, that it, it could have disrupted interstate commerce a little bit and slowed down you know, merchandise traveling places, which is ridiculous, but I guess that's the way they're getting him. And the, the extortion thing is not traditional extortion, but they're considering it like that uh, you know, he's using his badge and his, uh, and his uniform to uh, you know, perform private security duties for an illegal poker game. Not, not extortion at all, but it's his undercolor of official right, and I think that's what they're getting at here. So anyway, he, uh, he's ple- pleading guilty. He's going to be sentenced in March. He faces up to 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine, but that's the maximum sentence. Since he pled guilty, he probably won't get anywhere near that. We'll see what he does get. Uh, There are five other men involved. They have only been formally indicted, but uh, nobody has agreed to a deal yet except for this flood guy. So the police were escorting money for a fictitious game. There was no such high-stakes game in Tennessee with a $10,000 house rig. So even the police can be set up. Well, speaking of violations of the law, Caesars has committed a violation in New Jersey related to WSOP.com. Now, up till now, despite the fact that the online poker sites, the legalized ones in the U.S., have not been doing well, at least they have not had any kind of legal violations until now. WSOP.com has a self-exclusion list. This was a uh, something they had to agree to before being allowed to operate, that any sick gambler who is tired of losing money on the site can ask to be excluded for one, two, three, or five months. For some reason, uh, they don't want to exclude you for four months, but it's one, two, three, or five months you can choose to be excluded, and this is irreversible. Once you say, okay, I'm done with this site, exclude me for two months, even if you email them the next day and say, I I changed my mind, let me back on, there's nothing you can do. You will be excluded for the time you ask them to exclude you, and you cannot revoke that. But when the time's up, you come back. Also, if you ask yourself to permanently be banned from the site, they will warn you that if you do this, that you can never come back to the site or any Caesars properties ever. And they suggest you take a temporary ban instead. Well, anyway, there were 250 people on this self-exclusion list, which is pretty surprising since these sites never had that big of traffic. I'm surprised they had 250 degenerates who self-excluded. I mean, think about it, self-exclusion. You're actually telling them not to let you play, which I have to think very few people would typically do, but I guess you know, 250 people in New Jersey actually did that and say, do not let me play. Well, Caesars, in all their brilliance, and uh, you know, Caesars so well-known for their great operations uh, at, at their properties. And I'm saying that facetiously. Uh, they sent out promotional emails to these excluded people of all the different promotions and different bonuses you could get for redepositing to WSOP.com. Yeah. Not very smart. So they, they forgot to exclude these people from the email list. And uh, Caesars got in trouble for this. Caesars has been fined $10,000 
by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement for emailing promotional materials to people who had added themselves to the self-exclusion list. And I believe it was an accident. I don't think they were trying to trick these people into playing. In fact, they can't play because even had these people responded to those emails, they still were not able to deposit. So I don't even know if this should technically be considered a violation because, uh, truthfully, even though they're being enticed to play, they can't play. They're being advertised something they cannot do. If they go sign on the site, it'll say you're, you're excluded. You can't play. Wait until whatever amount of time passes. So I don't understand uh, how this is really a violation, but they seem to think it is. And Caesars is paying their $10,000 fine. And, uh, of course, Seth Polanski, the uh, vice president of communications at uh, Caesars Interactive, He's very involved with both the World Series of Poker and WSOP.com. He had some commentary about this. He actually gave a quote about what happened there. And uh, here's what Seth Polanski had to say when he was interviewed with the press of Atlantic City as to what happened. He said it was just an honest goof. This is what Seth Seth had to say about it. Tweet anything related to. Yeah, that's usually what Seth says. Usually what Seth says. But uh, seriously, this is what Seth, Seth had to say to the press of Atlantic City. The issue that caused our system to inadvertently target these patrons has been fixed, and we've had no incident since. We can assure the public that this lapse on our part was not intentional. Uh, but simply a back-end software issue that failed to properly scrub our database before certain mailings. I believe that. There'd be no reason to do otherwise. Just promotional emails that they can't take advantage of. But they have been fined 10000 which is nothing. Total slap on the wrist for a huge company like Caesars, and they're moving on. Not a big deal, just kind of entertaining. Well, the Santa Isabel Indian tribe a very shady Indian tribe that once had a brick-and-mortar casino that shut down, they have been saying that they're going to start up an online poker site in California for California residents and that they feel that they can legally do it even if California has not officially allowed online poker yet in the state. They they feel that uh, other laws allow them to do it, which is BS, but that's what they're saying. But yet they claimed that the site would be operational for real money in late August, and here we are in mid-November, and it has not happened yet. Also, it would be tough to buy into the site, as uh, the only two deposit options they take are this weird e-wallet called FinPay and going physically to their smoke shop and depositing money. (laughs) I I wish I was joking. That's really how you have to do it. But anyway, uh, there's no real money to deposit for that because... Uh, there's no real money poker yet, but they have decided to launch something called Desert Rose Bingo. Desert Rose Bingo, you can now play on their site. And the dumb thing about Desert Rose Bingo is that you're really not playing bingo, 
someone else is playing bingo for you and you're simply buying the tickets because uh, uh, you have to actually be on their tribal lands to be playing bingo. And since you're not physically on tribal lands when on their bingo site, uh, you're basically buying a ticket that somebody else is playing for you. So it's called bingo by proxy. I can't imagine who'd want to do this. Uh, Starting about a week ago, Anyone in California 18 or over can purchase bingo cards on DesertRoseBingo.com for a penny, five cents, 25 cents, 50 cents, and a dollar. You can buy a penny bingo ticket. Now, I don't know who runs these tickets for you. Is there really someone running around the Santa Isabel Indian tribe actually holding bingo tickets for someone with a penny? Uh, so anyway, they claim this is like a, a precursor to uh, starting their poker site, which is called privatetable.com. They claim the launch is within the coming days, most likely within the next week or two. Of course, that was a week ago. And they claim this is kind of the first phase of everything. I don't know why Desert Rose Bingo would have to come before online poker, but for some reason it does. Uh, I'm going to Desert Rose Bingo right now. It says, Desert Rose Bingo is owned and operated by the federally recognized Lipe Nation of Santa Isabel and conducts Class 2 gaming on its uh, lands in Santa Isabel, California. Desert Rose Bingo is licensed and regulated by the Lipe Nation of Santa Isabel Tribe. Account holders under 18 are not permitted. During the initial beta period, only residents of California will be allowed to register on the website. And you click OK. Let's see. I, let's see how to deposit here. I want, I want to deposit and play. Desert, I, I got to get a username and password. What a pain in the ass. You got to be kidding me. I, I'm not going to do it. Let's go to the FAC. Let's go to the FAC. There's one question in the FAC. When can account holder who is self-excluded be allowed to play again. An account holder who is self-excluded will not be allowed to again become an account holder with Desert Rose Bingo until a reasonable amount of time, not less than 30 days, has passed since the individual self-excluded. That's the entire fact, is how you self-exclude. So, nothing else there. Nothing else we need to know other than how to self-exclude and come back. Not even how to self-exclude, just how to come back. So, in case you're losing too many pennies on bingo there, you, you know how to get out of it. <laughs> oh, and it says your your proxy can join a bonus game every half hour. Where'd that go? It, it just flashed it away from me. Here we are. The half hour bonus game occurs every thirty minutes for all denominations. Every five cards you purchase, you will be placed in an upcoming half hour bonus game. Exciting. Chat with your friends, interact with other account holders, and add them to your friends list. Wow, my bingo friends list. The first tribal online Class 2 bingo site in the United States. Yeah, I wonder why there aren't a ton of those. Receive a free bonus card. When your proxy purchases five cards for a single game, the proxy receives a free bonus card. How exciting. Latest winners at bingo. It actually is running here. Uh, Ingu53, I have to imagine is some woman born in 1953. Uh, won eighty-five cents. Dana B won a dollar sixty-three. Bingo Man five won seventeen cents. And here's the big winner: Churn and Burn 
won $6.66. Don't spend it all in one place. You can almost afford chicken strips at Denny's with that. Derbster won two cents. <laughs> Albie two three seven twenty eight cents. Same with Bingo King and Bingo Player won a dollar fourteen. Now you may wonder, maybe these results aren't typical. Well, Bingo Man five is the top winner on the site. He has won thirty nine dollars and nineteen cents. Wow. Now, what's funny is they're listing their top winners. Their top 10. Now, number eight on the list, the eighth biggest winner on DesertRoseBingo.com is Bingo Player, very creatively named, $1.78. Ninth and tenth, who are Attack Dog 75 and Good to See You. How much have they won if eighth is a dollar seventy eight? Have they won two cents or three cents? No. These two have won zero point zero. They really won zero point zero. The eighth and ninth top winners or sorry, the ninth and tenth top winners in the site have won a zero. So so far, eight people have cashed anything on the site. To where they actually list the zero winners on the leaderboard. What a failure. So we'll see what happens with that. Let's take a look at the chat room. If you want to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. If you want to call in, let me check if I've gotten any texts. I forgot about this. Forgot about my text messages. The question is, did you guys forget about me? Did you forget to text me, or did I just forget to check, or both? We will find out here. You guys sent me no text messages today? I got no texts. I got no phone calls. This is pissing me off. I got no communication of any kind except for in the chat room. Jeez. Not one. No one No one called me. No one texted me. Nothing. I used to get so many text messages here that, that I, I couldn't read them all. I was inundated with them. Now not one person texted me. Not one person called in. You know what I'm going to do? It's 775-372-8355, by the way. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pre-record this show. Next time, I'm going to pre-record this show. And then I'll pretend it's live. I'll just show up at 630. I'll actually show up on time. Hit the play button. I'll have pre-recorded it at a time more convenient for me. And I'll just let it play, because nobody's going to call in or text me anyway. That's not very nice. To not, not contact me in any way during the show. This is, a, this is a new low for this show. This show has never had an entire show where nobody's contacted me in any way except for the chat room. I have the chat room. I appreciate the chat room. But nobody's contacted me in any way tonight. I admit the show was changed to Monday on short notice. I admit it's only been five days since the last show. I admit that people typically don't expect the show on Monday, but still, it pisses me off. I would withhold the editorial here to punish you guys, but 
I'd only be punishing myself because I would deprive myself the ability to say what I want to say here. So I'm going to say it anyway. Here's the editorial, and I'm going to shut this down to all you uh, non-communicative bastards out there listening to this show. And if you're in the archives, I apologize. I know you can't communicate with me. Wait, wait, actually you can. If you're in the archives, I want you to text me now too because I can get your text when you're listening to this in the archives. I can get your text anytime at 775-372-8355. Okay, I, I just got some text, some petty text here from the 773 area code. Shout out to baby Benjamin. Now, I appreciate that. And Ben appreciates that. But you know what I don't appreciate? I, you know what I don't appreciate, 773? Is that this isn't your real area code. You are texting me from a free text service called Haywire. So you're, you don't even want me to have your real phone number. The 209 texted me, we love you, Druff. Well, thank you. Someone in the uh, Fresno area. Thank you. It's better than uh, the person from Haywire who doesn't want me to even have their phone number. What do you think I'm going to do? Like, like call you in the middle of the night uh, for relationship advice or something? Cry into the phone? Jeez. Okay, uh, here's the editorial. It's about uh, information, personal information. Some of you might remember, if you were around back then, in 1989... There is a woman named Rebecca Schaefer, a young woman, who was murdered. She was 21 years old. She was the star of a TV show called My Sister Sam. She had been in some movies. She was going to be in The Godfather Part 3 coming up soon. And on July 18th, 1989, she was murdered by a weirdo who was obsessed with her, an obsessed fan. An obsessed fan who, by the way was considering targeting three other girls. The first one being that uh, peace activist, I'm forgetting her name, Samantha something, that was uh, killed in a plane crash. Uh, The 13-year-old girl. Uh, The second and third he was obsessed with were Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. So he could have killed them. But he didn't. He he moved his focus to Rebecca Schaefer because he was mad at her for doing a sex scene in a movie that came out in 1989. And he decided that she's just a typical Hollywood whore and wanted to punish her. So he got a gun. He was only 19 years old at the time. He's only two years older than me. This is back in 89. He got a gun. He lived in uh, Tucson, Arizona at the time. Traveled to Los Angeles and uh, actually, he had tried to uh, see Rebecca Schaefer before in 1987 with a knife, but he was actually turned away by security at the Warner Brothers studio. But he he found out her her home address through a private detective service that used the DMV to get it. So back in 89, it was easy to look up DMV records. And he had a private detective do that. So they quickly looked it up with DMV records, gave it to him. He showed up at her apartment. Uh, First, she just like signed a picture he brought there and they had a conversation and he said he was disappointed in her for uh, 
the movie or whatever. And she said, okay, well, you know, sorry about that. You know, please don't come back here. He said, okay, bye and left. And then an hour later he came back and shot her. The only reason she opened the door the second time was she was expecting someone else at that point. So she opened it thinking it was someone else. An hour later it was him and uh, he shot her in the stomach and she died. So why am I talking about this here 25 years later? Well, at the time, the public was outraged that you could obtain anyone's information by going to the DMV and asking for it. That the DMV was a big loophole in finding people's information. It was considered a tragedy that this this could have occurred. That it was so easy for him to find where Rebecca Schaefer lived through the DMV records that uh, a private detective got for him. So they passed a law in California at the time forbidding the DMV to give out addresses like that. So here we are 25 years later. Let's say we have a new version of Rebecca Schaefer and we have a new version of this psycho who wants to kill her but wants to know where she lives. Well, he can't do it through the DMV. But good news for the psycho, he doesn't even need to pay a PI $250 because there are now services on the internet that you can use to look up anyone you want. And it's not very hard to find them. I'm not giving you groundbreaking information on how to search for people. Uh, There is now so much data out there that is traded, bought, and sold that there is a staggering amount of data about you in databases everywhere, and that data can now be accessed. A lot of it can be accessed by complete strangers, average citizens, for as little as a dollar. I'm not even kidding. This includes reverse phone number searches. It includes address searches, employer searches. A lot of other searches. They're not expensive. They're available to everyone. And everything that they tried to prevent by passing that law after Rebecca Schaefer was murdered is now happening all over again. We just don't have a high-profile murder to go along with it yet. The biggest problem is that these sites make it very difficult or impossible to remove your information from them. You have to put a lot of effort into doing it. I know because I have put in that effort to remove myself from them. There are a few sometimes which do not provide you any way to remove your information or to contact them or the information they give you to contact them is insufficient, such as an email address they don't answer or a phone number they don't answer or where you leave them a message to do it and they don't take action or they just have a policy we don't remove information. The problem is your information is not considered belonging to you. You don't have legal control over it. You can't force places by law to take down your private information that's being displayed. Now, some of these services, in order to uh, 
not get the public too angry and not get uh, regulators too angry or lawmakers too angry at them, provide these opt-out means. But as I said, a lot of them are insufficient or very hard to find or, or very slow to take place. And you have to find every single one of these services, which can be very time-consuming and very hard, and sometimes you won't catch them all. And as I said, they're very slow to act. So let's say you run into someone who starts to threaten you. You say, okay, i got to hide all my information before this guy finds where I live. But you can't. You will not be able to get your information down from these services in time if he chooses to look it up. You know, today, tomorrow, or even for the next few weeks. And as I said, there's some services won't remove your information at all. Now, I feel that personal information should be the property of the person whose information it is. It should be your legal right to opt out. It should be your legal right to have a national opt-out sort of service where you, you get on a list that you don't want your information listed anywhere. And that any service that sells your information will be severely fined or that you could sue them for a lot of money. Kind of like the do not call list, but more effective. But no such thing exists. They actually have a right to provide this information to the public. doesn't matter if you're unlisted in the phone book. I remember before um, there there was this idiot who uh, got my phone number because it was posted on a forum. And this idiot thought it'd be fine to prank me over and over and over again. And uh, I I was able to look through his caller ID block and see his real number and and called him back. And I threatened him, this better stop. I'm about to post your information all over the Internet. And he said, I'd be violating the law by doing that because his phone number is unlisted and it's illegal to post an unlisted phone number. (laughs) It's not. It's not. It's not illegal to post anybody's information like that. It's illegal to say this person lives at such and such address, go over there and kill him. But it's not illegal to say this person lives at such and such address. You can do that. So I feel everyone should be in control of their own information. I have been very aware of this problem going back to the 80s because I was part of the old computer and phone hacking culture of those days when I was a teenager. And back then, everybody tried to get each other's information as that was what made you most vulnerable. If you were in that community, the way that you were strongest is if you were anonymous. I know some of you hear about the term doxing today. Doxing is the... 2014 version of what people did back in the 80s of finding out each other's info in the hacker communities. So that's been going on forever. But I realized back then that once information is out, you can't take it back. You can't make people unsee your information. You can't make them unwrite down or unsave your information. So especially in the internet age, it's very hard to get something off the internet that was published there at any point, especially if it's uh, archived in any way. In 1999, 
I was dating a new girl. In fact, it was the same awful girl I talked about last week that uh, I suffered through that 10-day cough, not cough, 10-day sore throat. throat. Uh, but anyway, something else happened at the beginning of that relationship, and that was she was being threatened by a client at work. She, she worked in insurance, and uh, she had to deny claims. She worked in claims. She had to deny some claims. And a psychotic woman whose claims she denied and rightfully denied said that this denial of the claim is ruining her life. So therefore, she's going to come to her house, shoot her, and then shoot herself. So basically threatening my then-girlfriend with a murder-suicide. Well... Fortunately, she had just moved in with me. And fortunately, I told her that I want her to keep the same standard of information that I keep. So that I want her to send her mail to a P.O. box that we'll both use. And um, I I don't want her to list her phone number with an address. Um, And I I gave these things I wanted her to do. And I said, because, you know, if we're together for a long time, then you're going to be associated with me. and, And if anyone wants to find me, they can do it through you. And I, I don't want to hide that we're together or who you are, so so the better way to do it is just for you to not to give out your information. And she she was very unhappy about this, telling me I was paranoid, I was crazy, that uh, you know she's always listed everything and never had a problem in her life, and she's 25 years old, and this is so stupid, and you know she's reluctantly doing it because I'm making such a big deal over it. Well, I can't tell you how many times she thanked me for insisting upon this after she got threatened by this woman at work. Because all of a sudden she had the confidence that this woman could not find her. And indeed she couldn't. And they provided security for her at the office and it was in a big building where it was easy to keep her safe. But that she didn't have to worry about at night that woman showing up at her door and killing her. And I said to her, see, this is what I mean. You can't take information away once it's there. If you had listed your address in the phone book, if you had... uh, made it easy to find where you live. You can't say now, oh, I want this information back. I don't want people having this. It's too late. It's out there. And she said, yeah, you're right. I never thought of it this way. And I said, the problem is you can't see the future. You can't see when a dispute might happen with someone where they're going to want to find you. And you should never make it too easy for just anyone out there, any stranger out there to find you. Because even if you think you have no problem now, you may have one in the future that's entirely not your fault. And this is before you know you had all these low-cost services you could use on the internet to find people. There was some talk of another radio show on Poker Fraud Alert. It didn't ever happen. It may, may still happen one day, but A. Brown 83 was going to run a show, and one of the topics he was going to talk about was these services and how to get off of them and how to use them to find others. But anyway... I feel this should be illegal, and I think the worst thing is where there are sites you cannot self-exclude, or it's very tough to self-exclude, and that should never be the case. If these sites are going to exist, there should be a clear and easy way to exclude, and there should be a way to exclude from all sites through some sort of blanket means where you do it once and it kicks you off all of them. Now, why is it dangerous? It's dangerous... Because of the reason I mentioned, 
physically, if there's someone you have a problem with that decides they want to commit an act of violence against you and they know where you live. But it's also dangerous financially. There's a big problem today known as identity theft. And the more the identity thief knows about you, the more they can pretend to be you. A lot of times when they apply for credit cards in your name or other forms of credit or utilities in your name, they will be asked various credit-type questions. What are credit-type questions? They're about your history, such as, we're going to list five addresses. Choose the one where you've lived in the past. Or... What's a city you've never lived in before of these five? Or choose the name of a relative of yours in the following list. And you go through like five or six of these questions. And if you get them all right, then they you know, approve your, your application for credit or whatever. The problem is with these databases out there that are so easy to purchase information, you can get all this info on other people and establish credit in their name. You can get uh, a whole list of addresses they once had. You can get a list of relatives or people they've lived with. You can basically get everything you need, their birth date. And as far as their social, you say, well, maybe the social security number protects you. No, not always. There's ways to get that, too. Not as easy, but there's ways to get that, too, especially for big scamming operations. So the point is, as this becomes easier and easier to obtain this stuff, your chance of being a victim of identity theft goes up. Also, this information is often used by scammers to sound legitimate when they claim to have a lot of information on you, and they can more convincingly play some kind of authoritative figure, whether it's at a bank or at a credit card company or at law enforcement, they can pretend to be these entities and get away with it, claiming they know so much, and how else would they know so much if they, didn't, if they weren't legit? Availability of personal information should not be this available. The consumer should have a power to remove their personal information if they want and do it easily. Now, we haven't had a Rebecca Schaefer situation in quite some time, but one day... A psycho like the one back in 89 is going to pay a dollar to find someone that he wants to stalk and he'll kill them and these sites will come to light and that's when change will happen. But it's a shame that someone probably has to die first before that occurs. So that is my editorial. I would give a World Series update but the chat room is going to get mad at me because um, they're all watching it behind, even though a lot of turned it off since Newhouse is gone. You know, uh, ESPN has got to be pissed here, because uh, Newhouse was their boy here. They, he was the feel-good story. He was the interesting one. He, he was the only one everybody cared about, and he's gone. I mean, having no Mark Newhouse at the final table is like having Kansas City and San Francisco in the World Series. <laughs> yeah, I had to take a shot at the Giants there. I'm sorry. They didn't deserve three titles in five years. They just didn't. I got a text here from, I believe, Seriously Serious. Is this Todd Whittles, W-I-T-T-U-L-S? Can I have your autograph? 
He always does that to me. He comes up to me at the World Series and says the same thing. Well, at least I got to see his office at the World Series. His hidden office in the bowels of the World Series. I got to see that, and I was very proud of myself for seeing that. It was one of the few highlights of the World Series of Poker for me. Uh, besides getting a free $10 voucher for food at the Rio from KevMath. That was also pretty good. All right, I'll be back in eight days. November 18th, probably after the Brandon free roll. Around 6.30 p.m. Can't guarantee I'll be on time, but we'll be back to Tuesday most likely. Why is the show on Monday? Never told anyone that. Well, it's simple. Uh, Benjamin's mom has tomorrow off work. And I figured it would be nicer for us to spend that whole day together rather than uh, the radio show interrupting it. So I moved it to day earlier at the last minute as the considerate and sweet boyfriend that I am. All right, people. We will be back eight days from now. Thank you to the free roll contributors. No thank you to people who didn't feel like calling into the damn show or texting me until I begged for texts. I'm telling you, like, I feel like a teenage girl waiting by the phone and nobody calling to ask me to prom. It's just very sad, people. I don't know why you do this to me. <laughs> I'll see you guys next week on PokerFrontAlert.com. Shallow.